Welcome into Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Aiden, we know the Splash Bros already, but now we have the Brick Bros in Philly. All right, all right, Liam, we get it. We got Ben Simmons, we got Danny Green, we know what we're doing. But, you know, we still got Dwight Howard, we got a shooter in Seth Curry. We're looking great right now. I we're looking great. Hold on, hold on. I love how you throw in Dwight Howard, talking like he's such a big impact. Yeah, you're right. These moves do make a big impact. So much so, it's Celtics in five now. All right, boys and girls, today I'm joined by a man whose fantasy football playing has impacted his fandom so much so that he lives in Philly. Then he lives 3,000 miles from his favorite team in Seattle, never lived in Seattle, which is different from my case. Mr. Aiden Levin, give him a hand. There we go. And on today's episode, Aiden and I break down the winners and losers of the extremely short NBA offseason. The Ravens are in even bigger trouble, and the Iron Bowl is set to be played this afternoon. But we begin today talking about Thursday's big college troops game between Gonzaga and Kansas. The Bulldogs entered the game at number one for the first time in program history, and they proved it. Despite a 90-point outburst from the Jayhawks, which, albeit will win you the vast majority of games in college basketball, Gonzaga scored 102 including three 20-plus point scorers. Aiden, does this increase your faith in the Bulldogs as the number one team in the country? Absolutely. Having three 20-point-plus scorers is absolutely insane to me. Uh, Jalen Suggs shot 60% from the field. Drew teammates shot, what, 70%. I'm looking to be really confident in Gonzaga going across this season, and it's going to be a really great season for the Bulldogs. So here's the deal, Aiden. People... Never have faith in Gonzaga because they don't play in a Power 5 conference. They've, they've been perennially the best Power 5 team in the NCAA. At the same time, they're always slept on. I don't think they're going to get slept on anymore after this outburst against Kansas, who is a perennial blue blood powerhouse, Aiden. So if you ask me, Gonzaga, Gonzaga looked really, really good offensively. I mean, 102 points against Kansas, who historically is a very good defensive team under Bill Self. And... Well, yeah, I know they allowed 90 points to Kansas, but at the same time, if you can drop 102 on an elite defensive team, then you're doing something, right? Yes, sir, and they also just beat Auburn by, you know, 23. And, yeah, so. and Auburn's not the same as they were in years past with the uh, – gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Keith – or the guy that tore his ACL in the NCAA tournament, I'm blanking on his name. I am too. Um, no, yeah, regardless, they – uh, even though Auburn's not the same team, Gonzaga ran away with it. They should have no problem running away with the West Coast Conference this year, grabbing a number one seed come March, and potentially winning it all. Yes, sir. Regardless, they made the Jayhawks defense, like we were talking about, look like a JV high school defense on Thursday, <laughs> and they still crushed Kansas and Auburn. Even though Gonzaga won both their games this week, another top-five team didn't have that same fortune as San Francisco pulled off a major upset of fourth-ranked Virginia yesterday. Cavaliers were 14-point favorites, but the Dons hit 13 three-pointers compared to a measly three from UVA en route to a 61-60 San Francisco victory. Liam, Virginia is normally an elite defensive team, but they allowed 40 second-half points yesterday. Are you concerned at all? It's hard not to be because, A, as you said, Virginia is historically an elite defensive team. If you're giving up 40 points and a half, which is a lot for college basketball standards, to San Francisco, I can't even tell you what conference they're in. You've got to be concerned there. And then the fact that they only hit three three-pointers yesterday. Will Turlington and I were talking about this last weekend. 
Shooting is key in today's basketball, particularly in the NCAA. The best teams are always the best shooting teams. And UVA did not shoot the ball well at all yesterday. So for that reason, it's hard not to be concerned. Especially in a very deep ACC where you've got an improved UNC team. Duke is still really good. Louisville is improved. Syracuse is improved. Had to throw that in there. But the <laughs> ACC, in my opinion, is much deeper than it was last year. Boston College is improved. They almost beat Villanova the other night. It's the right. ACC is much deeper. So UVA is in trouble if they keep playing this way. UVA had three double-digit scores, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. It was a really bad night for UVA. I would be absolutely concerned by this. The fact that their starters had 10, 4, 11, 9, and 4 oh, is just absolutely unbelievable to me. Um, it's just Jay Huff only had two field goal attempts in the entire game. It's, it's unbelievable to me. You have to shoot the ball. Uh, you have to be able to make the freaking basket, and, you know, it's just got to be like that. It's just you have to do it. I mean, but let's be real. UVA's got to get it going. They've got to get it going soon, especially before commerce play, because if they if they come into commerce play playing like that, they may not even make the tournament. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but to be frank, they have work to do. They do have quite a lot of work to do. Moving on to pro football, on Thursday, the Washington football team and Dallas Cowboys played for first in the NFC East. The game looked like it was going to be close for a while, but thanks to some classic Cowboys plays, including a ridiculous fake punt, Washington blew the game open in the fourth, winning 41-16. With the win, Washington takes sole possession in first place in the NFC East, and if the Giants lose at Cincinnati and Philly loses to your Seahawks this weekend, they'll be sitting pretty. Aiden, should Washington be considered NFC East favorites? As of right now, I think they are considered a, uh, NFC East favorites. I not entirely sure about the Giants losing to Cincinnati this week, considering they have a new quarterback uh, without Joe Burrow. But I think the Washington football team is still a better team than the New York Giants. I think they have, uh, according to the NFL, they have the first-ranked passing defense in the NFL, and I think that is really prominent in their defense. I think the fact that the Cowboys lost so bad and Alex Smith only had 149 yards um, is just really bad. Shout out Riley Wall, by the way. Go Cowboys. <laughs> um, man, it's just it's not looking good for Dallas. It's not looking good for Philadelphia this week against my Hawks. And I really think that Washington may really come out of the NFC East and host a playoff game. I, I'm going to take a different approach on this and break down the three NFC East team schedules other than the Cowboys. Looking at Washington, you got the Steelers next weekend, L. They've got San Francisco in week 14. Uh, I'm not sure. Because I'm not sure about that one. Seattle, L. I think they're going to beat Carolina in week 16. And I think they're going to beat Philly week 17. So if you pencil in the San Francisco game as an L, that's 6-10 and 10 right there. All right, let's move on to the Giants. Also, by the way, sorry, Riley Wall, for not doing the Cowboys. I think you can understand why. Okay, so... The Giants sitting at 3-7 have the Bengals this week. I think they're going to win that one. Then they've got Seattle, L. Arizona, L. Cleveland, L. Baltimore, L. That puts them at 4-11, 4-11. Washington finished 6-10. That last game ends up being irrelevant. And then moving on to Philly, most disappointing team in the NFL. Seattle, L. Green Bay, L. New Orleans, L. Arizona, L. 
need I say more? So based on the breakdown we just did, Washington should have no problem winning the NFC East. Couldn't agree more. I really, like you said, the Eagles are the most disappointing team in the NFL. Shout out my, shout out my city. Uh, shout out Philly. But dang, it is not looking good for my Philadelphia and, Eagles. You know, Max Kellerman on first take this week, I just want to bring this up because we're talking about it, was very harsh towards Carson Wentz. So I'm curious to know your take. Do you think the Eagles should give Jalen Hurts a shot? I'm not sure if they should. What I think is going to happen is I think that if Carson Wentz does not play well Monday night against the Seahawks mid-game, Jalen Hurts will come in. I think Doug Peterson has been very high on Carson Wentz his whole career, and Doug Peterson never likes being wrong. However, Jeffrey Lurie, on the other hand, does not like losing. So I think Jeffrey Lurie goes to Doug Peterson and says, you got to make some decisions to make. You have to make some tough decisions, and I think that Carson Wentz may be benched Monday night. Well, one of the things is, I'm surprised. Do you think Doug Peterson should be should get the boot after this season? Probably. I mean, I think Doug Peterson is very high on his ego and high on his players. Yeah, I mean, he's then, he's three years removed from a from a Super Bowl win. It's hard not to be. Yeah. I mean, I agree, but, you know, Carson Wentz still didn't lead that team to a Super Bowl. It was still Nick Foles. He's very high on Carson Wentz for a reason I have no idea why, considering <laughs> his statistics for this year. Carson Wentz will never be the same form as his almost MVP season and Super Bowl season when he uh, injured himself. And I just think they both need the boot, in my opinion. Oh, well, thanks, man. Yeah, I got you. Uh Jeez, the only word I can describe this is wow. Things didn't look bad enough for Baltimore after their loss to Tennessee. It's gotten much worse. Since Sunday's game, the Ravens have had 12 players test positive for COVID-19. Lamar Jackson and running backs J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram among them. The Ravens have reportedly disciplined a staff member for not following regulations. Their primetime Thanksgiving game of the Steelers has already been pushed back, and it's already moved back to Tuesday. I haven't heard much about rescheduling uh, past that, and I think Tuesday is just going to be the way it goes. Well, what do you think, Liam? Are the Ravens done? Man, talk about one-hit wonders it's starting to look like for the Baltimore Ravens because if we go back in the past and look at the last elite rushing quarterback to have a season similar to that of Lamar Jackson in 2019, you look at Michael Vick, right? But look what happened to him. He turned out to be quite the one-hit wonder. And slowly and surely, it seems as though Lamar Jackson is turning into the same thing. I mean, Aiden, I drafted him in two of my fantasy leagues. He's been benching both of them for Justin Herbert and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I mean to tell you, he's been nothing short of a letdown this season. He had all the hype coming in, like, Madden cover, not bad for a running back. Can he repeat the performance? Can he get the Ravens to, to, to the Super Bowl? Doesn't even look like he can get the Ravens to the playoffs right now, COVID issues aside. Even if he was taking snaps for Baltimore, God willing, on Tuesday night, they would still lose that game. I couldn't agree more with you. I think the Steelers powerhouse them. I think Lamar Jackson was a pivotal, like, game-changing quarterback in 2019. But then now you have all this film against Lamar Jackson. You're just going to learn his learn about him, learn his playmaking, and uh, defenses are going to learn to shut him down. I think that's exactly what happened. I think that Lamar Jackson is may come back with a vengeance after COVID. 
I think Lamar Jackson could, you know, start throwing the ball more. He has to work on his uh, medium-range game, working the outsides of the field, making sure he's hitting his targets. And I think that if he does do that and puts the work in, he could come back with a vengeance, reset his play style, and make something new of it. And I think he could go back to a form of MVP caliber play. Okay, so after after the Pittsburgh game, they've got – Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Giants, Bengals. They lose one of those games, they're done. They lose one of those games, they're done. I know Cleveland's a good team, but they blew them out of the hole in week one. They lose one of those games, they're done. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that Lamar Jackson, after the, like this season, he's not going to make the playoffs. He's going to come back with an absolute vengeance next season, and that's what I think that the Ravens are looking that's for. That's what we said Michael Vick was going to do, though. How'd that turn out? Mm, you're right, you're right, but who knows? I think Lamar Jackson, if he hones his game and he just, you know, sophomore, like, it's not as much of a sophomore slump, but it's as much of, like, an MVP, like, hangover, I guess. Um, I think he could come back with a vengeance and come back hard next season. Well, to be straight, a bad turn of events is getting worse for the Ravens. On Sunday night, the Raiders scored a touchdown with under two minutes left to take a 31-28 lead. However, unfortunately for them, that turned out to be too much time for Patrick Mahomes. As he led a drive like it was nothing on route to an eventual 35-31 Kansas City victory. However, Vegas came oh so close to beating Kansas City for the second time in a single season, Aiden. So should the Raiders look on this game with a positive outlook? I think the Raiders should look on this with a positive outlook. I think the Chiefs' offense is just absolutely unbelievable. And I think that they came so close to beating the Chiefs two times. The, uh, the 35-31 victory, uh, victory for the Chiefs earlier in the season was very close at the same time. The fact that the Raiders are getting this close to the Chiefs, no one expected this to happen. I think they should look on this with a positive outlook and just keep working. Keep trying to win games. Keep trying to outscore your opponent no matter what. Their offense is looking great with that passing game. Um, Henry Ruggs is looking like a great addition. Josh Jacobs is still an absolute monster in the backfield. And the Raiders are looking good, in my opinion. I think they're very much um, overachieving from what they were expected to do. So bravo. They should absolutely look on this game with a positive outlook because keep in mind that the Raiders were missing the vast majority of their defensive starters the other night because of COVID concerns. And they still... They still came this close to beating Kansas City. I mean, that's that is undisputedly the best offense in football, and you're coming within a la- and you're coming within a two minute drill of beating them. I mean, how can you not look on that positively, man? I mean, Derek Carr looks like a Pro Bowl quarterback at this point. Josh Jacobs looks great. That receiving core, Henry Ruggs, Aguilar. I know you hate hearing that being in Philly, but they look really good right now. But don't sleep on Vegas if they get into the playoffs. Keep an eye out for them because they can very, very easily make a deep run, potentially even to the Super Bowl. Not saying it will happen, but it very well could happen. Shout out Philly boy Nelson Aguilar. Derek Carr is making him look like a real receiver now. It's unbelievable. I wish Vegas won, to be real with you. I would have loved to see it. But Mahomes continues to prove he's the best of the best. Uh, Moving on, tomorrow's Colts-Titans game is huge AFC South implications, to say the least. Both teams are coming off very good wins, with Tennessee beating Baltimore in overtime and Indianapolis beating Green Bay in overtime. In their last meeting, Indianapolis used a dominant defensive performance en route to a 34-17 victory in Tennessee. Both teams are 7-3, so this game is gigantic, especially for Tennessee. Liam, what do you expect from it? So you said this is a particularly gigantic game for Tennessee, and it really is, because... 
when they played Indianapolis at home, they were embarrassed. But this time, they have a chance to come into Lucas Oil Stadium, one of the toughest home environments in football. I'm not sure. I think they're still having fans. I'm not 100% sure. But taking a look at Tennessee's last, uh, last five games after this weekend, they've got Cleveland, Jacksonville, Detroit, Green Bay, and Houston. I'm thinking realistically, at best, you go 3-2. and two. I don't think... Because, I mean, so if you scrap the Indianapolis game aside, that puts them at 10-5. and five. Take a look at the Indianapolis schedule, which should be much easier given that they didn't play as well as they did last year. Okay, so they've got, I stand corrected, they've got Houston twice, Vegas, Pittsburgh, and Jacksonville. So I'm thinking 3-2 and two in that set of games as well. So that being said, tomorrow's game, I believe that the winner of tomorrow's game will win the AFC South Division. That being so, that tells you just how gigantic this game is. I couldn't agree more with you. I think the winner of this game will go on to win the AFC South. I think Indianapolis looks absolutely great coming off a huge win against Green Bay in overtime. I think they're going to, uh, in my opinion, they're going to roll with that. I think the Colts win this game again and sweep the series with the Titans. I think it's going to be absolutely unbelievable to see. And I never would have expected this a year ago, watching the Titans' playoff run. But, wow, the Indianapolis Colts look really good. And I am very impressed by this entire team. We all said that um, before the season started that we didn't think Phillip Rivers was going to be, you know, absolutely amazing with the Colts. And, you know, they're making it work. They're 7-3. and three. It's unbelievable do you what think, they're doing. Do you think that Indianapolis could get Pittsburgh around for their money in a few weeks' time? I think it's possible. Like I know, like people are uh, absolutely have have like less faith than they should in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, they're a really good team. That's why they're undefeated. But I really do think that the Colts could give them a run for their money in playoff games. I think that the Steelers do not have playoff experience, minus you know Ben Roethlisberger. And I think that that receiving core and that running back core just might slump in the playoffs. The playoffs are a completely different beast than the regular season. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, if Tennessee ends up losing this game, it won't be easy for them to make up ground in the division. But do you know what is easy? Podcasting with Anchor. And we are going to move on to talking about NBA free agency and trade market. It's time to break down the winners and losers of the pretty much already finished NBA offseason. We start with the winner of the free agent market. And which team has made the most bang for their buck with free agent signings? I mean, look, shout out my Sixers for the free agent signings, but I don't think they did the best job. Um, I think um, free agent-wise, I think that... Um, oh, who am I thinking of? Sorry, it just slipped out of my mind. Um, I think Oklahoma City's doing great um, last trade market, but I think um, the Lakers, I think the Lakers are the winners of free agency. Montrez Harrell is absolutely huge for them. I think Marcus Gasol is absolutely huge for them. I know Dennis Schroeder was a, sh- a trade, but that was insane. Uh, Wesley Matthews, I think they just, they completely restocked and the Lakers are looking to repeat, and I think it's insane what they're doing over yeah there. it's a huge rich get richer type deal i mean to tell you you look at their bench was already pretty solid last year but you're adding harold gasol west matthews three very very good bench players to make an already stacked team even stacked even more stacked i mean 
I'm hoping they don't repeat, but at the same time, their prospects of repeating look pretty darn good. Oh, they look absolutely insane. And they also re-signed uh, KCP, um, you know, which, in my opinion, was not great. They could have gotten better, but whatever. Don't forget, Car- don't forget Caruso, man. Don't forget Caruso. Shout out Caruso. Bald Eagle, baby. Um, so we're going to move on to the loser. Obviously, some teams lost a key piece, Liam. You of all people know that very well. So is your team the biggest loser of free agency? Uh, no, because we got what we needed in a center in Tristan Thompson and a bench player in Jeff Teague. So I don't necessarily think that is the case. But if I were to pick a team that lost free agency... I feel like it's easier to do this for the trademark. You know, these are so... Because you can go so many different ways, but... I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the New York Knicks and here's why. They have been begging, I mean pleading for a big name to come to their squad for years and years and years. And this year, albeit a class filled with a bunch of great role players, this class lacks the star power of years past. And you take a look at next year's 2021 class. I mean, I'm going to tell you it's loaded, but for the lack of star power in this class, the Knicks are the losers because you saw they weren't exactly what you would call big players. No, I couldn't agree more. I think the Knicks are losers. I think, no offense to you, Liam, but you're Celtics losing uh, Gordon Hayward, losing uh, Ennis Cantor, losing Brad Wanamaker. We traded, not, Can- we traded Cantor. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. But still, uh, losing Wanamaker, losing Gordon Hayward. I still, however, think the Charlotte Hornets are the losers. Um of free agency specifically um but you know uh, no hey no, okay, no, they're giving him they're giving my man they're giving him way too much money man i mean that that's my entire it, reason it, it's entire it's reason. it really stinks what happened to him but at the same time 30 mil over four years he didn't live up to that in a in his two seasons in his two healthy seasons in boston oh my gosh michael jordan is the michael jordan of bad owners and giving people way too much money Michael Jordan's team cannot uh, build talent in young players, and it's just absolutely unbelievable that they paid Gordon Hayward, who is, what, 32? Um, 30. 30. 30. Um, that much money. He, I, it's unbelievable to me. Hey, man, so, now that uh, LaMelo's in Brooklyn, or Charlotte, excuse me, we may get to see that uh, LaVar, MJ, one-on-one one action. Well, moving on. To the trade market, it was surprisingly silent, Aiden, but Chris Paul did get shopped off to middle to Phoenix, Aiden. So were they the winners of the trade market, or was it somebody else? I don't know if the Suns are the winners of the trade market. I think Chris Paul is huge for them. I think that veteran presence is exactly what they needed in Phoenix. Uh, I think that backcourt with Chris Paul and Devin Booker is going to be insane, but I do not think they won the trade market. I think, looking long-term... The Oklahoma City Thunder absolutely crushed the trade market. I think it was absolutely unbelievable what they've done. Having 17 first-round picks in the next six years, it's absolutely insane. We're looking at they moved, um, going back to last year, Russ and Paul George for so many picks. They moved this year with grabbing Danny Green um, and and sending him off very fast. Um, They moved... Schroeder, they moved uh, Stephen Adams 
It's just, it's absolutely insane to me. Uh, Long term, I think the Oklahoma City Thunder are going to rebuild, and I think it's going to be absolutely insane. Oh, and Kelly Oubre. Forgot about Kelly Oubre. So you look at, you've mentioned long term. Well, I'm thinking another long term team. That is the New Orleans Pelicans, because they got three first round picks for Drew Holiday. I mean, to tell you, I mean, Drew Holiday is a good player, but he's not worth three first round picks. Are you kidding me? And. The fact that they got Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams in that deal, too. Two players that can help them now. They could, I think they're going to make the playoffs next year. And they got three first-round picks in their pocket, trading Drew Holiday away. So, if you ask me, the New Orleans Pelicans are the undisputed winners of the offseason. Do not be surprised if they make the playoffs next year. Perhaps even make a deep playoff run with Houston on the decline. Yeah, I agree. I think New Orleans may come out as a lower seed in the playoffs for the West. And I think they could really do well with these uh, trade moves, for sure. Steven Adams may be the biggest piece of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They were they were missing a center last year. That's what they needed. Yeah. They got rid of favors, and now they have Steven Adams. I could only call that an upgrade. <laughs> All right. Uh, finally, we're looking at trade market losers. Teams can benefit from trades or a lack thereof just as much as they can lose from it, Liam. So who's the biggest trade market loser? I look no further than about four hours south of where we go to school in Syracuse. I look to NYC. I look at both the Knicks and the Nets. The Knicks, why? Because the Rockets didn't trade Russell Westbrook. The Nets, why? Because the Rockets didn't trade James Harden. So in a way, the Rockets are another big winner of the free agent market because they've they've held on to their stars. The two teams in NYC, however, who are wanting those stars desperately, don't seem to be able to get them. So for that reason, the Knicks and Nets are the big losers. It's hard for me to say that the Nets are such losers considering, like, they already have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and that it's okay that they don't have James Harden. I really didn't think that James Harden in Brooklyn would fit with those two. Oh, uh, easy for you to say considering you want him in Philly. I mean, true, but I just don't think he fits with Kyrie Irving. I think you'd have to ship off Kyrie Irving to get James Harden. I think James Harden and Kevin Durant would work, but I don't think... Uh, James Harden and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant would work. I don't see it happening. Um, I don't see him getting shipped off unless it's midseason by the trade deadline. So I think Houston gets to keep their stars. I'm not sure what that means for Russell Westbrook and James Harden. They may, you know, um, look to um, hold out. Who knows? I'm not entirely sure of what they're looking with that. Um, You're right, though, that the Knicks are not looking good in the trade market. Um, it's, they haven't added many marquee players that they've been looking for to return to old school Knicks style. And I think that the Rockets could end up being losers. The Knicks could end up being winners at some point in time, but not just yet. Wow. You brought up a holdout. That's something I never really thought about happening in the NBA. I mean, it's happened time after time in the NFL, but I've never seen it happen in the NBA. So if that were to happen, I would be... Very intrigued to see what happens. I think Russell Westbrook will be the one to do it. That's all I gotta say. No, yeah, that would be a Westbrook thing to do. But time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. Forty-five years ago today, November twenty-eighth, a legend took off the lagging gold for the final time as Bobby Orr played his final game for the Boston Bruins. The greatest defenseman of all time played parts of two seasons with the Blackhawks following this game, but knee issues forced him to retire way too young at the age of thirty. What a legend. 
Five years ago, Monday, November 30th, the late, great Kobe Bryant announced his intention to retire at the end of the season. It was quite the retirement tour for Kobe, including perhaps the most memorable game in recent history. In his final game at the Staples Center's end of his career, Kobe dropped 60 on the Jazz, which marked a fitting ending for the career of one of the greatest scorers of all time. Indeed. My goodness. Look at this. We're into December now. Time really flies, my friends. Well, 25 years ago, Wednesday, December 2nd, in perhaps a not-so-great achievement, Montreal Canadiens head coach Patrick Roy, or, oh my goodness, I typed in the goalie's name twice. Well, Montreal Canadiens head coach, I'm blanking on his name, left goalie Patrick Roy in the game way too long. Roy allowed nine goals in an 11-1 blowout at the hands of the Detroit Red Wings. The goalie demanded a trade after the game and got his wish, getting sent to the Colorado Avalanche, who won the Stanley Cup during the season. Safe to say, in Patrick Roy versus Montreal, Roy won the case. Man, that's kind of wild to me. You still got a Stanley Cup out of that. Yeah. 24 years ago, Friday, December 4th, in another not-so-great achievement, the Orlando Magic tied the lowest single-game team score since the shot clock was introduced in 1955, scoring a measly 57 points. Believe it or not, that record has since been broken, as in 1999, the Chicago Bulls scored 49 points in a game against the Heat. I mean, Liam... Teams have 49 points in a few minutes into the second quarter these days. I know. It just goes to show how much the game has evolved and how, and how defense continues to take a step back, which is honestly really disappointing. Okay, the show's almost over, so it's time for who you got. We start with this afternoon's Iron Bowl as 22nd-ranked Auburn visits top-ranked Alabama at 3.30 Eastern on CBS. The Crimson Tide are 24.5-point favorites on the, bur- on the Tigers, according to Sportsbook. So, Aiden, do you see any chance of an upset? It's hard to say yes to that, Liam. As much as Nick Saban won't be there to coach the Iron Bowl, it's still Alabama football. It's mm. still Nick Saban's staff knows what they're doing. They don't absolutely need Nick Saban. You can't coach talent, and that team is looking to be really good against Auburn in the Iron Bowl. I mean, the only, the only time I see Alabama losing a game this year is the college football playoff. That's how good and dominant they have been this season. So, with that in mind, the Crimson Tide are going to run away with this game. Couldn't agree more. Moving on to Sunday Night Football, as the pitiful Bears offense visits Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Liam, this is a must-win for Chicago. Do you think they'll get it? Absolutely not. Not the way they've been playing lately. Max Kellerman was saying that the Chicago Bears sitting at 5-1 were Super Bowl contenders. Look at what has happened since then. They've gone 0-4 since then, soon to be 0-5. Green Bay's winning this game. They should have no problem. Couldn't agree more. Green Bay is coming back with a vengeance after that overtime loss to Indianapolis, and I think that Green Bay is not going to lose this game whatsoever. And our friend Ozzy will be happy to hear that. And the last one, Monday Night Football, Aiden, your Seattle Seahawks visit the pathetic Philadelphia Eagles. I know I don't even have to ask, but who you got? And I'm sure you and your dad are having quite the quote-unquote argument. As I live in an Eagles household, it's a very interesting time in my house this week. I absolutely see the Seattle Seahawks coming through with this win. It's hard to say otherwise. You look at the Eagles' offensive line terror, and you look at Carson Wentz's absolute atrocious season, and our defensive line still isn't even that good, but we're still going to go at the quarterback this week. I see Carlos Dunlap getting two sacks. And your secondary still sinks, so you're, yet they're going to have an unbelievable game. We're gonna, the Eagles are going to make our secondary look like a super bold secondary. They're going to make them look like the lead you to boom, if you can believe that. Couldn't agree more. So, yeah, Seattle's winning this game. No questions asked. No if Philadelphia does asked. win this game, 
I, I will never hear the end of it in my household. No, you I won't. Will, no, I will not. Well, folks, that's all we got for today. I'm Aiden Levin. I'm Liam Griffin. I'd like to thank my man Aiden for being my guest today, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me. Please, please, please stay healthy, wash your hands, be safe, and be positive. Next week, we got Henry Kinzel coming on the show. We'll be analyzing NFL Week 12, breaking down this coming Tuesday's College Basketball Champions Classic, and looking ahead to Indiana versus Wisconsin next Saturday. We'll see you then.